Hello and welcome to Anywhere's Very Good Television Podcast. I'm Liz Shannon Miller at Lizard on the Twitters. I'm Ben Travers of Ben T. Travers on the Twitters. Happy Monday as you listen to this. It is the beginning of June, which means February, not February, geez, May has ended. <laughs> it feels like there, the months of March, April, and May didn't happen. We just went straight from February to June. Yeah, that's accurate. Yeah, it's, or rather, it feels like it's been a million and a half years since then. It just feels like time is a flat circle. Yes, we've all been trapped in a constant loop of tension and and political intrigue and and family drama, and it's just finally come to an end. Ben is, guys. This is this is kind of like a therapy session for Ben because Ben has a lot of feelings right now. Because as as you may have caught on by him incessantly mentioning it for quite some time now, uh, Ben is a fan of the show we call the Left, not the Leftovers, <laughs> the Americans. <laughs> I'm just twisting the knife. <laughs> Um, everything's, over. everything's over. Why are we? Why are we still here, Liz? What do we have left to talk about? Um, I'm actually blanking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the Emmys. We have the we have the Emmys uh, to look forward to. Freaking Emmys. Um, you yeah. love the Emmys. We'll see if I love the Emmys <laughs> this year. Yeah. So, um, anyways, the Americans just uh, aired its series finale. Um. I have not been fully up on the Americans, but I did watch the series finale. Uh, ben, of course, diligently covered the entire series, um, not exactly from start to finish. I, I finished. I recall very fondly uh, walking by you in the halls of the Langham Hotel um, during, like, I think it was like maybe like our first year working together. You were diligently binging your way through the first season of the Americans because it yep. was like it's like you were like I'm gonna I'm gonna do it. This is gonna be my show now. Accurate. And it was and then and then it became your show. Yeah, it was it was one where I had, you know like everybody by now had heard enough great things about it, but um, I hadn't had the opportunity to do coverage on it yet. Um, so when the opportunity presented itself, uh, or like you know. Early on in its run, relatively, uh, I, I seized it. I mean, it was one of those things where you know you were going to check in and get the review up no matter what of what was coming out. Uh, so, you, so I had to get up to date, and you know that's that's happened a number of times on a number of shows. But uh, this one, you know, it, it immediately gets you. Like I've talked to people now across the board, um, reaction-wise, where you know I've convinced them to watch some of the Americans, and some of them have become addicts. Some of them have reluctantly kind of kept going with it because they're like, yeah, there's just enough here. I want to figure out what's going on. Others, you know, watched a few and stopped. I don't understand. I don't understand the watch a few and stopped. I really don't. Like, I, I can understand it not being, like, your favorite show in the world, but it is, especially the first season, um, pretty addictive television. Mm. So I, I, um, I found it fairly easy to kind of jump on board this train i mean season uh, season one i definitely i definitely really enjoyed and got through i think i think i've watched season two as well and then i forget if it was basically like i think it was literally the fact that you got really into it and were digging in hard on coverage and there are some other television shows out there that led me not to really dig in with seasons three and following um but i've kept up and i've checked in on the occasional thing and uh, I mean, it's it, it's a it, the thing is, I feel like it's it's like eating a meal at a fine restaurant, and like even if you even if like you're not like a huge Thai food fan, like you can eat a 
beautifully made Thai dish and be like, this is magnificent. Like, this is a beautifully seasoned, constructed dish. Yeah, everybody should be able to recognize that. And you better, TV Academy voters, Yes, this come is... 2018 nominations and did, victories. Did I say that this was a therapy session for Ben because it's starting to feel a little bit like a veiled threat? Listen, last year was tough. <laughs> like, last year... Last year was a was a lot of effort, and some things were gained. There was one big great thing gained, but not enough. Well, let's 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 go over this a little bit because I feel like this I feel like this is relevant, and also it's non spoilery, and I feel like we I, I don't know we didn't discuss whether or not we wanted to get into spoilers for the finale. No, um, we don't want to. I don't think we can. Yeah, too many people have been waiting for this show to end to watch it. And if I spoiled it for them on this podcast, I would be so sad. Okay. <laughs> so we're, myself. We're, so instead of going into spoilers on the finale, which, but I will accept to say, like, I feel confident, like, I feel confident in saying, even as a non-dedicated fan of the show, I don't think it could have ended better. That was a terrific ending. It was a terrific ending. It was surprising and yet felt very complete every every one of the like looking back on the show especially <laughs> every season finale of the americans is surprising in ways that i feel like no one could have ever predicted um there were a number of seasons where i was like oh my gosh they're building up to this big thing and this thing is gonna happen and that did not happen like it it went an entirely different direction but never were you dissatisfied with their choices they all felt very authentic yeah i feel like it's it it's it feels in some ways like the kind of twists that the americans delivered are very dissimilar from the kind of twists that westworld delivers where like and i won't officially i i'll say at the end of last week's uh two weeks ago as you listen to this episode of westworld you know you get to the like last scene or two and you're like oh I feel like I know where this is going. I feel like we're about to get a surprise visit from somebody, and it's pretty clear who that surprise is going to be. And lo and behold, that's that turned out to be the case. Um, it like it was like but it was like a oh, okay, you're gonna do this. I understand. And with the Americans, it feels like every because every choice was so grounded in emotion and so grounded in character that it you know the characters. The characters could surprise would surprise you, and the moments would surprise you, but it never felt it, it never felt shocking in like a you know ha ha we got you way. It felt it always felt very like yeah. we we just want you to we, we we you know we we are here to tell the best story possible sort of way. Well, yeah, none none of it was structured around that. None of it is structured like Westworld. Westworld's a puzzle box. Westworld is very much about constructing its narrative as well as uh each episode and each aspect of each episode to kind of maximize uh the reveal you know and we talked about it before you know you talked especially this season they're they're hiding a lot of information very purposefully so that these reveals will not be spoiled until the last possible second or at least as long as they can hold off on it mm-hmm. um the americans as you mentioned uh, and, and put very well is motivated very much by what will honestly happen, which comes from, you know, Joe Weisberg's, uh, creator Joe Weisberg's background, you know, with the CIA and with kind of an understanding of who these people are and and wanting to honor, you know, the reality of it uh, above a lot of other things. And that doesn't mean that there's not, you know, kind of grandiose moments within the story that you can 
dig into, you know, embellishments that are made, you know, for the sake of entertainment. But what um, they always held true, you know, first and foremost, was uh, an authenticity and an honesty to, you know, what would really happen, what would, how would these people adjust to whatever scenario was thrown their way, um, and, and, you know, what would they do as a family to get out of it? Not to mention that, you know, overall, The Americans wasn't just a spy story, but it was very much about family and about raising children and about, you know, a marriage forming, um, and then, you know, what you do once that marriage has reached a kind of point of, of, of understanding and acceptance and love and, like, true love, uh, mm-hmm. and then, you know, what you do with your kids as they move to college and, and grow up and learn things about you. And um, anyway, that was that was very long. But no, it was... It, it, every year found a new way to progress that story in a satisfying way that you'd never see coming. And the ending is very much like that. It, it gives you things that now seem very clear are things we had to have um, to leave the story. And yet I don't, I don't think anybody uh, could have predicted how it would have gone down. Like right. not even just like, Oh, it happened over there in this place. But mm-hmm. like, Oh, this actually happened. The elegance of that, those, those of those last two lines, I'm, in that last scene, is just in, in mind-boggling. Um, but let's let's steer the conversation away from d- the dangerous territory. I think we're entering, which is just talking about the ending. Um, let's talk about the the show's awards history. Oh, Specifically, um, I always love like going into INDB's uh, awards uh, section because you know you get like the, you got the big the, the big deal players, the important ones, and then. Uh, ben, do you know in 2013 it was a nominee for the IGN Summer Movie Awards um, in all the major categories, including Best New TV Series. Great. And in, in 2013 it was also nominated uh, for its uh, for the TV spot Parallax View at the, for, at the Key Art Awards. Way to go, guys! Yeah, they're they're really real winners. Uh, oh, it's, it, it's won some. It got nominated for Saturn Awards. Which mm-hmm. is a big deal. It also got, it also got like some real nominations, like uh, uh, for the, the, t- the Television Critics Association has been nominating it forever. Uh, but this is actually something I'd forgotten about, which is until very recently, the only consistent awards player involved with the show, Margo Martindale, was Margo Martindale, a three-time, a three-time nominee, a one-time winner. Actually, yeah. no, four, twi- twi- four-time nominee, a one-time winner, a two-time winner. In the guest actress category. In the guest uh, actress. She's category. been bumped up to supporting. In recent years, but uh, she won when she was a guest and was nominated when she was a guest. Yeah, and so I mean, for but for it's it it feels like a you know as as our awards expert here, the the fact that the show didn't get beyond those categories in its first few seasons that's relatively unusual, given what happens later. Yeah, yeah. It, I mean, it was one of those that. Um, it was part of the big prestige TV push. It was competing against some pretty serious, <laughs> some pretty serious heavyweights in the drama category, and some pretty serious heavyweights who were also popular, like who who were much easier shows to watch. Like not, and by when I say easier, I mean um, they were addictive in ways that the Americans only is to those who are really you know paying proper attention to it right Uh, there's there's certain shows that you know they're just they kind of fall into you and you're 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 a lot easier to kind of keep up with on a on a 
you know, day-to-day, weekly basis, however you watch them. But uh, point being, it, it follows very much the Friday Night Lights model, which is something that people pointed out when it finally did break through in the major categories later on. And it was a, it was a buildup of both um, critical accolade uh, time, like just, just the fact that it lasted as long as it did, like the fact that it was on, you know, for three years, uh, make, like getting all of these all of this acclaim and and constant reminders to the point where there were parody articles written about critics pushing for I have it up attention great if we, if we care to do a dramatic reading later uh, perhaps but um, but it it had reached this kind of saturation point where I think TV members had to at least pay respect to it and a lot of ways they do that is by nominating it and it's very obvious even if you see just one episode a year, like some TV Academy members might have when they were considering what to vote for. It's very obvious that Matthew Reese is doing incredible work, and that's why he finally got a nomination. And Carrie Russell is an institution unto herself, but also the same thing. If you watch one episode of that, you're like, holy shit, Carrie Russell is doing incredible work. Um, The episodes, I think, that finally cracked through, I think it was The Magic of David Copperfield? Was that, that was season four... Uh, let me go to the record. Go, go to the files. Um, I think that was their writing nomination. It was uh, do male robots dream of electric? Oh, sheep. really? It was interesting. That was well. I mean, another, bless you, male robot. Another great episode, and, and yeah. honestly, one that I'm surprised is recognized just because it's such a challenging episode of television uh, to to shift through. But congratulations to writer uh, Joshua Brand. Very well done. But um, but no, I mean, the point being, it, it finally reached that saturation point in season four, and it got a Best Drama Series nomination. The two leads were nominated. Got a writing nomination. In 2016. Um, yeah, in season four. Yeah, okay. Um, and this was kind of the moment where a lot of fans were like, they, they didn't see it coming. They'd been, <laughs> they'd been rejected for so long and told for at least the past two years by, you know, prognosticators, experts, that, that this was finally going to happen, that they'd kind of brushed it aside like it's not going to happen like we're just we're going to have to be that show that doesn't get recognized and then it, it did and and from that point you were like okay smooth sailing we're on the right path we, we've broken through in the big categories um we're gonna set this up we know we've got two seasons left we're gonna get a win for the final season and then last year happened and there was the slightest dip in critical support and to the point where it was like the nitpicky kind of thing stood out so much more because this was supposed to be a perfect show. And when that happened, I, I think that cost them because they lost out on the drama series nod. Um, you know, there, again, there's a lot of competition here. So it's, it's, it's not, you know, like they just got totally, you know, blindsided by nothing or, or were banished right. for a specific reason. And, uh, you know, there were still acting nominations. There were still other nominations. But it, it saw a bit of a dip which wasn't supposed to happen going into the final season to the point where now we're back on that rocky ground of they got to knock somebody else out or, um, you know, if they're going to win, they've got them out a real charge. And, you know, the critics very much got behind it. It was a tighter, faster, much easier to engage with final season um, that still had all of the depth and, and rewarding content that, you know, longtime viewers had come to expect. So I feel good about it. Mm-hmm. Um, at this point, and when I say that, I very much mean the nominations process because until that comes in, it's kind of a fool's errand to predict winners. Right. Um, but uh, at this point, they're they're in good shape. They they sold out their FYC screening for the finale. 
you know, they were turning a lot of people away at that. Um, the re- audience reaction to that was very strong. Uh, the critics' reaction to the finale has been very strong. It's been getting a lot of coverage and a lot of attention from people who don't always give it coverage and attention. Um, and I feel like the cast is fairly beloved. Um, so I, f- I feel good about it, but I'm still willing to start threatening voters. Well, um, as you were talking, and I was paying attention very much so, I was also double-checking some stuff uh, that I was not totally sure about. Uh, one thing, I mean, and I'm sure you've read something to this effect. I'm wondering how much you buy into this idea. Uh, one thing I noticed about the move from season three to season four, i.e. the move from 2015 to 2016, is that uh, the Americans was no longer competing against Mad Men in the best drama category. And so essentially that kind of created a slot for it. Um, and you're making your skeptical face, but I mean, I'm just, I'm, I'm noting this fact because sure. I, the American, because Mad Men had fi- ended. So it just wasn't there in the field anymore. Um, there was enough rotation outside of just Mad Men with other shows that the Americans could have slotted in. Uh, I would agree that they're fairly similar audiences. Like mm-hmm. I feel like the people who love Mad Men would probably like the Americans or at least respect the Americans enough to vote for it. Um, but I don't know if that's exactly why it finally cracked the case. Well, the other thing I wanted to note is t- last year, aka season five, aka 2017, um, last year was such a weird year for the best drama category because it was like, I'm counting now, like uh, literally ha- over half of the nominees, with the exception of Better Call Saul and House of Cards, were all new- first season shows. And, you know, it was just like, and I feel like we, and in general, like, I feel like it's something we've noticed a lot in our coverage, which is that sometimes it's a lot easier to get someone to watch it, get, get, if people seem a lot more invested in season one of a show, uh, if you, if it's made a big splash right out of the gate, and then season two, there's a little bit less interest. And I feel like there's like yeah. something to the idea of maybe not diminishing returns, but people drop off. People are like, oh yeah, I should catch up on that. That, that's true. There's always the risk. And, and what's fresh in people's mind is usually something that wins out a lot of the time. If something is, is you know, on the air as they're voting or if something was, you know, that sensation for the last two or three months, they're going to remember that and that's going to give it an edge, you know, over a lot of other competitive entries. Um, but that idea applies more in the sense for those new seasons because they were new and it's easier to start a new season. But the thing that's frustrating for Americans fans and for fans of, of existing shows is that once it gets in, it's usually okay. It's not that people drop off. People might drop off if a season is bad, if there's a, a significant dip. But usually with the Emmys, the track record seems to be as long as you know the quality in general holds up it's going to hold up well, too. So, like, the amount of turnover last year, uh, I mean, Game of Thrones was out of the race. You know, that created some slots. There were a couple things that were out of the race that created some some of that opportunity to get in. But, um, you know, This Is Us was a phenomenon. Stranger Things was a phenomenon. Handmaid's Tale was a phenomenon. Like, those were just kind of undeniables that were going to make room no matter what. And it was interesting to see kind of how it shook out. It just wasn't. And people predicted the Americans might not make it. But it was still disheartening well and they also not to get into the nitty-gritty of the you know award season process but they also changed the voting rules in a way that kind of heavily favored what might be more popular favorites that's what fucked over the leftovers yeah (laughs) but not the americans you don't think it it 
It could have. It, it's harder to compare them because The Leftovers had zero nominations going into that year when, mm-hmm. the, when the rules changed, whereas The Americans, again, had done well. Um, and I think it'll be interesting this year to see what show is really getting the push like Uh what show seems to be the one that people have latched onto because again like like you mentioned with with season twos i think arguably each of those major sensations had lesser follow-up seasons than their first so this is us had a lot more people complaining about like the jack's death storyline and how long it was drawn out in season two than in season one so there were a lot more naysayers Stranger Things had a lot of people pointing at, like, the 11 episode and a couple other things saying, yeah, I don't know about this. And uh, Handmaid's Tale has been doing very well, but there has been more of the kind of we've seen this, we know what this is than before. Like, before it was all about, oh, my gosh, this is a brand new world. This is so exciting. This is doing really well. Um, let's talk about Elizabeth Moss. Oh, my gosh, we got to keep talking about Elizabeth Moss. And I don't think any of the conversation has changed, but that in in and of itself is almost a lessening. Like, it's almost less than what there was before. There's definitely been so. less buzz around The Handmaid's Tale, though what I'm going to be really interested in is whether or not that changes. I feel like, um, because I feel like the first half of the season had a lot of good spots, but was kind of relentless in its misery and... I think the back half of the season is evolving into something really interesting. Like, I've seen episodes seven and eight now. Um, eight's airing as you listen to this on Wednesday. Maybe I'll get nine soon. That'd be nice. Um, but yeah, I think the show is in general, I think the show in general is finding finding a new energy. And I think part of it is like they're adjusting to a 13 season. A 13-episode season as opposed to 10. Can't believe they did that. Oh, I was like, you're shaking your head like you don't think that's true. I no, know. I just couldn't believe they ordered 13. Hulu gonna Hulu, man. For as brutal as that show is, the idea of extending a season just seems so hard for me. But what's interesting to me about what you're saying is whether or not people are watching Handmaid's Tale. I don't. I, I am not convinced that everybody who voted for it last year actually watched it all the way through. So much as they watched enough of it to be like, this is the best option this year. This is what I should be voting for. This is what I will vote for. And if people vote the same way in season two slash this year, it's like, well, are they actually keeping up with it? Or is it one of those, like a lot of shows, where, you know, perhaps they're, you're just you're trying to watch as much as you can so you don't keep up with it, and it's like something has to beat that bar, but if the stuff that you keep up with and watch and love elevates beyond, you know, the thing where you're like, well, I'm really impressed by that, but I, I lost interest, or I or I just couldn't bear with it, um, it'll be interesting to see how they respond. I'm, I'm fascinated, again, as I've mentioned before, for the battle between Game of Thrones and Handmaid's Tale, if it does in fact seem to come down to those two. Because we know people are watching Game of Thrones. We know they've seen all of it. We have no idea about Handmaids. You know, what's really interesting about that is it kind of segues into something I, d- I did want to make sure I mentioned, which is to, to your point about how, how, much do the, how much does the Academy actually watch of everything. Um, as mentioned, I'm not, I, I confess I have the only episode I've seen of season six is of the Americans is the finale. Because, um, you know, I like, I like to see how things end. Um, from my perspective, and admittedly, 
I'd been editing a lot of your reviews, uh, not all of them, but enough to be relatively caught up on points. And the I had paid very close attention to the opening uh, uh, previously on segment, and then uh, <clears throat> and then I found that the finale, given my vague awareness of everything that happened before and my understanding of the premise, was still a really good hour of television. Mm. Like I didn't. I mean, of course I would have been more emotionally affected by it if I had been digging in hard on it all season long. Um, and that's my own fault. Uh, but for what I was, for, for what I knew and what I was able to comprehend, I, I, I was, it, it was really impressive to me. And I think that if, if, if Academy members are just like, oh, I'll just see the finale and see how it ended up. I'm never going to catch up anyway. There's too much TV, blah, blah, blah. Um, but if they just watched the finale, I mean, I, I can't, I, I, I could, I would, wouldn't be surprised if they came away being like, yeah, that was one of the best shows of the year. Yeah. Let's nominate it. Yeah. Um, I, I feel it, I feel like, I feel like I'm coming from a place of ignorance on this point, but I feel like my ignorance is educational in some way. No, 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 it's, it's, it's a great point. And, you know, uh, there's a lot of arguments and, and sweat that goes into choosing what episodes are shown at the FYC screenings and you know, the Americans showed the, the season finale, um, series finale. And there's a lot that goes into the mailers, you know, like a lot of it's digital, so they have access to everything. But when they're choosing the ones that go on the DVD, there's, you know, there's a lot of, like mm-hmm. we got the CBS uh, kit right. this week. And interestingly, they chose like three episodes that uh, aired, like, I think it was like, I think it was like four, five, and six of Crazy Ex-Girlfriend mm. season three. Like, like they didn't choose the beginning, they didn't choose the end. They chose like something kind of right in the middle, because they were like, "That's the group we want to, we want well, to watch." Well, I mean, I imagine that episode that includes uh, the big twist episode or the 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 episode with the scene on the airplane for non-spoiler reasons. Sure, but Wait. I mean, it, the the point being, those kind of decisions do they yeah. feel like they do matter? They feel like that is an impact and. To me, like, I've had a lot of theories over the years about the Americans and kind of why it's it's done well and why it hasn't done as well as perhaps it should have and, you know, ratings and et cetera. And, you know, a lot of that conflict goes into what people wanted and feared about the ending. And again, without spoiling anything, a lot of the discussion going into this season was, you know, who's going to die? And do they deserve to die? And do people want to see them pay? Like a lot of the conversation from the actors at the FYC event and on the conference calls and the interviews that I did with them was about like, there's people talking to them like, man, we really think these Russian spies who killed a bunch of people, killed a bunch of Americans, they deserve to to have some bad stuff happen to them. Like we need to see that if we're going to really respect this ending. And then there are other people who are like, if you kill off Elizabeth, I will hate this show for the rest of my life. Like there were there were these very passionate responses that tied in both politically and emotionally to the narrative of the show. And, you know, I, I've put out there before, even to the creators, that, you know, one of the difficulties of of voters and people responding to it was just the idea that a lot of Academy voters are older. A lot of Academy voters remember the Cold War. A lot of Academy voters may hold grudges against the Soviet Union and Russia, which, you know, people do today for different reasons, but they may not be able to see beyond that, even though that's exactly what the show is trying to invite them to do. They may still just be like, no, fuck those spies. Like, they're trying to destroy America. And, you know, it's it's crazy, but there are there are crazier and worse reasons, as bad as that reason is, for people not watching and not voting for 
shows. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like, <laughs> the idea of that finale, you like what you said, I think on a very technical, professional level, there's no flaw to be found in it. There's, mm-hmm. like, there's scenes for the actors where you're like, oh, my God, I can't believe they did this. That's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen from a very, you know, uh, a formal standpoint and you know the direction same deal the, the the writing the construction of it it's beautiful like so much of it from that level is great but if if they went into it with an expectation that wasn't met for whatever reason that could affect the vote and it's weird like it's a, it's an impossible thing to think about you never want any of the creatives to be dealing with this and most of them are like they're over this they don't care but um from a from a person who wants the show to get the recognition it deserves on from its peers and for the bigger world like i'm all these things are kicking around my head Mm -hmm. and it'll be it'll be interesting to see how it plays out just think i mean i i'm just i'm just now i'm not even thinking about your personal happiness uh on emmy's morning i'm thinking about uh uh, the head of publicity at fx uh joel sol uh, uh, john salzberg and his potential solberg i should say that name right uh but his his potential glee in it because He's he's a man who wears his heart on his sleeve, and his heart beats only for the Americans. Or, oh, and all of other all other FX shows, but the Americans is special. And uh, yeah, the whole, I mean the whole FX squad is um, is are great, wonderful people, and also just incredibly loyal to these programs. I mean they they talked about it at the Emmys. There was an article written about it for Vanity Fair, but the male robot, as mentioned before, oh, yes. has been has been engineered, you know, re-engineered, built so it can operate as a mail robot for the FX offices. So it is just roaming the FX offices delivering mail, probably fairly inefficiently, but, you know, warm your heart, love it, nobody's going to complain. I'm waiting, I really want to see, like, an Instagram, uh, this get posted on Instagram or Facebook. Like, yeah, hopefully I want to see will. some employees' reactions to it. But yeah. that that's in existence right now. And, um, you know, it's it's one of those things where... There's no question of, of whether or not it's deserved, and it is going to come down to competition, and it is going to come down to um, not a flavor of the month kind of thing, but you know, where does the campaign and the story arcs of the campaign take us this year? Um, you know, the, the, I mean, the Me Too movement dominated conversation last year. It, it could very well and, and deserves to continue dominating conversation for far beyond the awards circuit um, in, in the industry. And well, I feel we like don't know where this is going to go. I feel like your math on the Me Too movement is, or your calendar math is a little off in that I think Me Too wasn't really till the fall. But otherwise, what you but you mean politically, the mood was right for Handmaid's Tale. And yeah, I, I, I guess I shouldn't say the Me Too movement, but we'd had, we'd had the Women's March. We'd yeah. had a lot of, of discussion kind of leading up to that. It was a cultural movement that supported the Handmaid's Tale um, and, and, you know, how real that world felt to a lot of people in a horrible, horrible way. But, um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, we're gonna, we've got a long road ahead of us. Uh, the Americans family just ended. Uh, we'll see how long this kind of passion resides in the hearts of, of Emmy voters, you know, come July when mm-hmm. the nominations actually come out and then September when the friggin' results are read. So, um, it's a long road ahead. Yep. But getting closer and closer by the day. And so we got to keep do something to distract ourselves. So, Ben, what was the best thing you watched last week? Uh, the best thing I watched last week was the new HBO drama Succession. Mm. Um, it's <laughs> it's it's a show about rich white guys who are terrible people, and it's pretty great. Um, 
it's it, speaking it, Ben's language. It's a it's a pretty vicious satire. I compared it as like a dramatic one hour version of Veep, and it's not on the same kind of uh, comedic level. <laughs> well, it's got no, some no, great like just in terms black of like, comedy, but like the the level of of um, <laughs> the level of of craft put into the insults, like the specific insults, aren't as uh, gorgeously rendered as Veep ah. because part of their rationale behind the insults and the depiction of these people chosen is to show kind of how immature they are. They don't want to elevate it too high to make them make people think that they're better than making a, a very crass dick joke. So um, at the same time, what surprised me about the show, I got to watch the first six episodes of it. What surprised me about it was it did grab me from an emotional level that I didn't expect to happen, especially after the first two hours where I'm just sitting there looking at these folks going, you are horrible, unrelatable individuals. And their business dealings aren't necessarily that uh, involving. Like, you you don't really get gripped by the work they're doing. Mm -hmm. Um, But the way in which they present this story and slowly kind of drop little hints about their backstory and how they became who they were and what they're trying to be and why they can't quite see that they're not that person. Like the way they slowly develop that, develop that over the first half of the season is really well done. And by the time they reach a very pivotal scene in the sixth episode, my heart was just racing at a level that is fairly unprecedented this year. So I I really do recommend it. And it is surprisingly funny. Plus Matthew McFadden, super weirdo, super funny. You have not seen Matthew do this stuff, so check that out. Yeah, I'm going to say uh, Ben watched a lot of it in the office, uh, and you know he would he was he was literally laughing out loud at certain points, which I always consider a pretty good endorsement of anything anything Ben is watching. There were some there were some gleeful chuckles. Yes, um, but Liz. What was the best thing you watched last week, perhaps that induced similar glee either within your your heart as, as like entertainment, like literal glee, or like, oh, this is just so good, I'm happy this is good? Well, I talked about Legends of Tomorrow last week, okay. and I finally watched the finale, and it was everything I'd been promised and somewhat more. Oh, that show. What a show. What a show of shows. I think that ha- I think I did that this week. That feels right. Who knows? Who knows? Could have been February. What? Could have been February. Could have been February. Uh, But I'm going to shout out um, the new AMC drama Dietland, which, as you you listen to this, uh, Ben has maybe posted his review. Um, There's a 50-50 chance. We're still figuring out editorial plans around this show. It's a new AMC. Dark comedic drama is probably the best way to term it. And I don't know... If it, I, I, I found it really engaging, really interesting, and I'm going to be really interested to hear what Ben has to say about it. I will say it's from creator Marty Noxon, who has done a number of shows going all the way back to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, she was an executive producer on that by the end of its run. And uh, it, it's playful and interesting in a way we haven't seen before, while also really digging into issues about body image and femininity and a lot of a lot of major league stuff that I feel like is very much in the zeitgeist is very much worth talking about and so yeah I mean where I think I don't know if it, I'm I'm 
I'm hopeful that this becomes a show that people are discussing. I feel like I've been pleased by the way, like, <clears throat> as Killing Eve became a real talking point for people over the course of the last few months. Um, and I feel like there's potential for Dietland to kind of be the next show that we're talking about on that uh, to that degree. But uh, it'll depend. I look forward to hearing what other people think about it. Um, yeah. 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 I, I mean, AMC is definitely behind it. Yeah. They're, they're feeling pretty good. They're feeling very good. Um, but Ben, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Uh, honestly, Liz, this is... So I have a really good answer that segues nicely from what you just talked about in that Marty Noxon also worked on Sharp Objects. Oh, that's right. Uh, the new HBO limited series starring Amy Adams, directed by Jean-Marc Vallée. Right. Um, and that will debut at the ATX Festival, which I'll be at this week and be able to see on Thursday. So that is probably the good version of what I was going to respond with. And I'm not allowed to talk to you about it. Correct. Thursday, though. Uh, the other version is I'm really, really excited to watch the second half of this week's Westworld episode, which I'm currently watching right now. But by the time you're listening to this, I will have seen and Liz will have reviewed. And I'm not going to say anything more than that because Liz is reviewing it and she is pure and she likes to remain pure before she gets into an episode. Well, it's... It, but, it, 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 we're we're in a good position right now where you know I mean theoretically you could watch eight or we got we we have we have Westworld screeners again thank you HBO so much for giving us Westworld screeners I was gonna have to cancel plans I was gonna I was gonna have to disappoint some very 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 nice people I play Dungeons and Dragons with and tell them Mama's got to be home by six so she can watch uh, Westworld but now now I can play Dungeons and Dragons to my heart's content I mean till the finale well no but it's only I, it's just that one Sunday. I just needed. Right. I just needed that one Sunday. I, ha- I only have a life like one Sunday out of every two months. <laughs> well, Sundays are a day of rest, so that's fair. It's it's right, but uh, uh, yeah. The point is, uh, I'm very excited for it. Um, yeah, and I'm glad that you're enjoying Me too. it because I'm glad because you've been up and down on the season. So yeah, um, the fact- I am. I am. <laughs> I have high. I have high expectations for Westworld. Great. Um, I. You hold it to a high standard. Yeah, I was not one of the critics from season one who was like, yeah, sure, it looks great, don't care. I was one who was like, looks great, really into it, really thought they pulled off a great season. Uh, there was obviously flaws, as, as you're always going to have, but um, yeah, season two was a little obtuse at times. Um, characters were a little waning, but uh, there's some stuff. There's some stuff. This is good. <laughs> okay, excellent. Um, so Liz, what's the next thing you're looking forward to? Next thing I'm looking forward to is another thing that I'm I'm currently set to review, which is Marvel's next big upcoming uh, drama adaptation of its characters, um, the freeform drama of uh, Cloak and Dagger, which uh, I've seen a little bit of already. Uh, I fell asleep watching it. No offense to the show, I just started it way too late at night, as the as as happens sometimes. Um, and it's I feel like it's the characters that the show is based on are somewhat ridiculous, but I'm very interested to see how they take, like, these are, it's very, it's very comic booky. Uh, these very, they're very comic booky characters, but uh, the show's executive producers, including uh, Gina Prince Blyfwood, who's been, you know, a, a, a really interesting indie director to watch. Who's also moved into television lately. She did the Fox drama uh, shots fired last year. And she directed the pilot of this. And there's definitely some Black Lives Matter, you know, in-depth in, in uh, development of that material. And, uh, 
looking at it looks at dealing with race and class issues um albeit in the context of a teen it young adult skewing uh superhero drama so there's a lot of elements in play here uh and i'm looking forward to seeing how they all work together yeah and you'll be able to read all about that and more on indiewire.com where you'll find news reviews interviews features all the stuff you like and make sure to listen to indiewire's other podcasts you guys uh a very special shout out to screen talk with ann thompson and eric Cohn, which celebrated their 200th episode last 200 week. that means they got 200 cakes and that's did they actually exciting. get did they actually get cakes i have no idea we should find out what they got i hope they got like jackets or something well because whatever they got we need two of <laughs> we need <Yes>. double <laughs> right that's what matters here yeah um, that, that's petty they're not that they'll ever hear this so it's fine yeah right that's yeah um, but of course, there's also the, the the Turn It On podcast with our own Michael Schneider, uh, keeping you up to date on everything that's happening in TV this week from the people who make the TV that you're watching. Uh, and then, you know, I mean, guys, what are we even what are we even doing here? Like, Chris O'Fault has his own podcast, and it's called the Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. And Chris O'Fault is the world's greatest human being. So if you're not listening to it, you're depriving yourself of greatness. And that's just dumb. So get yourself together. Even if you are not harboring an increasingly intense abiding love for, for Chris O'Fault, it's worth noting Chris was just in town uh, recently uh, recording a whole bunch of Emmys-related podcasts. Uh, so he was, I think he was, I think he, he was here for like 48 hours and he got in like, eight, he got in eight major interviews with really interesting talent. So I think you've got, you've got some really exciting episodes to look forward to from him. Yeah, I got to meet Hiro Mirai because of Chris. That was pretty great. Um, and I think, I think maybe the best way to sum up Chris O'Fault is he is the Americans of human beings. So, Which means that Chris O'Fault better get nominated for an Emmy or Ben is going to burn this place to the ground. Well, whatever the podcast equivalent of an Emmy is, yes, Chris deserves it. All of them. Mm-hmm. Everyone. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. You can find Ben on Twitter at Ben T. Travers. And you can find Liz on Twitter at Lizlet. That's with an I and then an E. Correct. We will be back next week. Um, hey, occasional mention that, you know, if you like what you're hearing here or you just if you like what you're hearing here, uh, rate review subs- rate review us uh, on on the various services. We just got reminded that we're not just on iTunes. I think we're also on Stitcher. Um, who knows? I actually don't know if we're, we're on around. Stitcher. We should figure that out. Whatever, we're we're around. You can find us. We're great at podcasting. Just give us good reviews. Yeah. And if you don't want to, don't do it. Yes, but uh, whatever you guys want, any feedback is welcome. Thank you guys so much for listening again. And as always, keep watching television.